Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to the 2022 NFL season, a new season of the Please Bet on Football Games podcast. I'm opening, even though I am not your host, I am Joe. I am the on-air talent, but this is Alex. He's your real host. Happy to be back, Joe. Uh, this is, it's going to be a really fun year. I'm excited for it. Obviously, we've we've talked a little bit about some of the players coming in, but this talk about complete teams, and we're going to wrap into who we're high on, who we're low on. This week, we're starting with the NFC. I guess we can just jump right in. Well, before we jump in, let's explain a few things. Um, so because there's been a ton of upheaval this year, there's going to be some very uh, large gaps, if you will, in perception between any analyst, any market, uh, and and any line. Like there's going to be a lot of actionable lines out there just because everything's so different. We've got like five different starting quarterbacks that have switched teams. We've had some key retirements and one key unretirement. There's a lot of chaos going on. So chaos and upheaval always lead to angles, right? Because it's easy to have an opinion when you've seen something for years, just expect more of the same status quo, et cetera. It's harder to deviate from that. But when things are fresh and new, everybody's got to have a first impression and those can vary drastically. And that's where a lot of value can come in. Um, In addition, just a disclaimer, we're not going to be doing this based on season win totals. First of all, that market is long gone. If you wanted season win total bets, you should have done it a month or two ago. But second of all, famously, I don't like futures. Why would I tie my money up for an entire year when I could just make bets every week for the first month of the season, implying the same analysis, in trying to get at the same angle and bet like four times as much money, rolling it over infinitely quicker. So We're not doing season win totals. These rankings have nothing to do with that. This is mostly just a gassing and fading podcast. Today, like we're going to gas and fade the NFC today. And next week, we're going to do gas and fade for the AFC. And the week after that, we're doing picks. So without further ado, we've put together a power ranking implied by the uh, the bookmaker lines on all the lookaheads. Uh, we scraped the ESPN power rankings that were published like yesterday. I did my own manual power rankings. And then we've also included my GPA algorithms power rankings, which I don't always agree with. Uh, now that we've done too much background, Alex, take it away. All right. So first we're going to go through and we're going to list the any team that we're talking about their rankings uh, based off the algorithm, Joe's rankings, the ESPN rankings, Vegas rankings, and then we're going to get into uh, the team itself and why we're gassing or fading them. So with that all said, let's get into it. Uh, the first team we have to uh, talk about, and we're going to kind of just jump around divisions uh, throughout. We're just going to pick teams that excite us. that We think there's a gap between how we view them and how the general market views them. So with that said, the first of the gas, we have the New Orleans Saints. Uh, they are ranked at number 15 on the algorithm, number seven on Joe's rankings, number 20 for ESPN, and number 21 for Vegas. All right. So the Saints are not a team I feel particularly comfortable gassing, but I gassed them last year. And before Jameis Winston went down, great success. 
So the basic handicap last year was that Jameis Winston's a talented quarterback. He's not awesome in any category, but we've seen him be productive. We've seen him. He has like above average arm talent, et cetera. He just makes those really stupid mistakes, but he did get LASIK and being a LASIK recipient myself, it changes your fucking life. It's the first curse of the season. Um, Additionally, he's in a new system. That's not quite as risky as the Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich, fuck it, chuck it football offense. So we saw Sean Payton effectively castrate Jameis Winston last year, and they still went five and two. His interceptions were very low, mostly because they just wouldn't let him challenge downfield. And this is all with terrible receiving weapons and a quarterback who's still fairly new to the offense. They lose Sean Payton, but frankly, I think that the way he ran the offense last year was a hindrance to them. They kept the rest of the coaching staff. So to the extent that they're missing anything from Sean Payton, it's going to be what? The conservatism? The the dink and dunk passes? It might get extended a little bit downfield? Oh no. Like, as much as I love what Sean Payton once was, I'm not certain that he's that much of a loss this year. And as far as the roster goes, the defense is top three, in my opinion, stacked secondary. They've got a top five corner in Marshawn Lattimore. They lost Marcus Williams, who's a top three safety, but they added Tyron Matthew, who's not terrible, plays a little bit different of a role, but he's a really good player. And they got rid of Malcolm Jenkins, who fucking sucked. So that's good. Generally, I don't see a lot of reason to be, I think the only thing that you could be down on them relative to last year about is the loss of Sean Payton. And Sean Payton was the most disappointing part of this team for me last year. I think if Jameis doesn't go down, the Saints are a real contender in that NFC. I don't think that they're on the Tampa Bay or Rams level, but I think they're probably third or fourth. I mean, we saw what they did to Green Bay. Not that one game determines exactly who is better and it's not always necessarily predictable, but like they can at least hang with Green Bay. Could. So I completely hear what you're saying. I think they're a little bit better than how Vegas and ESPN have them ranked, but I'm not as high on them as you are. I'm probably closer to where the algorithm puts them around 15, middle of the league. Mine is based in, you know, I don't think losing Sean Payton will kill them, but it'll hurt just from a consistency standpoint and like the behind the scenes running of everyday things. But I don't think they'll miss that much because was it Dennis Allen is a new coach? He's been there forever. I mean, he's done interim stuff with them. Like he's been talked about as a head coach with other people. He, I he, think he'll he, do he coached, fine in the he role. He coached the Raiders like right after Jack Del Rio, right before, I want to say before Gruden, but there might be somebody I'm missing there. Oh, is he like the full head coach? Yeah, I want to say it was two years circa like 2014-ish. Uh, and he wasn't good. Uh, remember, he was the defensive coordinator of the Chargers for a little bit, went to the Raiders as their head coach. Wasn't good. It wasn't, it wasn't good. But no defensive head coach really ever is. I think that this will be a little different, though, because he's not a defensive head coach who's trying to build things from the ground up. He is basically a babysitter taking Sean Payton's place on the logistical end while their offensive coordinator from last year still has full control over the offensive side of the ball. So he might be the one calling, you know, deciding whether to go for it or not on fourth down. Sean Payton wasn't great in that area anyway. He might be the one deciding the general aggressiveness of the offense. Sean Payton sucked at that last year. So it's not quite the same as if he had taken over as a head coach anywhere else, you know? 
Yeah. And that's where I think the, you know, everyone else being there will definitely help bridge that gap, but they are taking a step back in terms of like your overall head coach. Uh, So I think that'll hurt them a little bit. Also, I think losing Toronto Armstead will hurt because he's, he's very good. You know, he's not the most durable player, but when he plays, he's incredible. Yeah. Another, Um, a top three tackle. Yeah. Like it's, it's easy to not talk about offensive linemen because when they're playing well, you don't notice them. Right. But he, he is a big loss for that offense and you know, their O line is still very good, but it's going to impact them. And it's at probably the premier position on the line. Um, So those two things added up, will bring them back a little bit on top of, I just don't think their offense is that incredible. You know, they, Michael Thomas is back. They got the superstar Jarvis Landry. Uh, Alvin Kamara is apparently not going to face any discipline from the fight. Um, So like they have playmakers in theory, and they have some speed with some of their deeper guys. Um, But it's not an exciting group. Jameis, uh, like you were talking about, you know, he played pretty solid last year on the handful of games we got to watch. It was very safe football. Um, And the guys that they have are mainly possession dudes that are better at shorter routes anyway. So that might just be the kind of offense we're going to see, which I think limits them just because now they're going to require time to make anything happen. And it puts a focus on Jameis making consistent, smart decisions. And that's where he struggles a little bit and that he can play really well for a bit, but then he still has some inexplicable, I'm going to throw it 60 yards downfield into triple coverage. And he even had a couple moments of that last year with the Saints in the few games we watched in a conservative offense. So that's always going to be there with him. Um, I agree with you 100% on the defense. So that defense is going to be really good. Losing Marcus Williams are hurt a little bit, but getting Tyree Matthew will make up for it in a, a decent way. They're at least going to be better in the short and intermediate game. Yep, exactly. That's exactly where he's going to clean things up for them. Yeah, and then- he, you know, they're going to take a step back in some of their deep field stuff because Marcus Williams is a better center fielder type safety, but. Tyran is still really good. Hunter well, the other- defense will be really good and we'll be able to float them. But I think the offense will limit them to, from being like a, an actual real good team. Well, do you know off the top of your head who they're replacing Malcolm Jenkins with at strong safety? Uh, I do not. Okay. I have it right here. Yeah. It's, they got Marcus May from the Jets who could legitimately play free safety. He's, he's a legitimate balanced safety. I think anything they lose from Marcus Williams covering the center field as compared to Tyron Matthew, they probably gain in the corpse of undersized linebacker Malcolm Jenkins being replaced by Marcus May, who can play football legitimately in 2022. And then, God damn, their secondary is deep. In the slot, they're going to have Tyron Matthew, who slides down into the slot better than damn near any other safety in the NFL, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson known instigator and just stalwart in the slot and PJ Williams, who has shown in the past that he can be very good in the slot. And then on the outside, they've got Paulson Debo, who we both like Marshawn Lattimore, who is the most elite of the elite. And then Bradley Roby, just as a third outside corner who has shown even in the NFL flashes of being a legit CB one, like super brief, but it's happened. Yeah, I mean, I think Roby is well past any point where you expect him to be like elite, but I think he's still in conversation to be a CB2. Totally. And they have him as their third option. And and not their slot, not their slot third option. Like they can go five wide manning up with legit cornerbacks who belong on a field. That's 
It's the deepest secondary in the NFL. Sorry, Ravens fans and Dolphins fans. Like, I know you've got great secondaries too, but like just the depth is stupid. Yeah, their their defense will be incredible. Because, I mean, Cameron Jordan is still very good. Um, Marcus Davenport isn't exciting. He's fine. He's he's athletic, um, but he can't play football. Yeah, he's fine, though. Uh, David yeah. Onyemata is great. Mm-hmm. Demario Davis still all over the field. Yep. And then, you know, their other linebackers aren't the most exciting, but there's some young guys that have some role-playing ability. I actually really like twin whiteys, Pete Werner and Zach Bond. And I think that Pete Werner will be good. I think Zach Bond could be good. And like you put that together and all they're missing on the defensive line is really just a pass rush. Like if they could just get any of Peyton Turner, Tano Passanya, uh, is Contavious Street healthy? That would be a first. If they could get any of those three dudes to provide a consistent pass rush presence, they're going to be a nightmare. And then, yeah, on offense, like, okay, I have been the king of saying Michael Thomas is overrated. He is slant boy. He is curl boy. He is not very helpful towards building an efficient offense. And Jarvis Landry is just the super short version of Michael Thomas. But, dude, last year they were throwing Traquan Smith out there and Marquez Callaway as their starting X and Y receivers. Or, sorry, X and Z receivers. That's fucking sad. So the fact that they have those two, like Jarvis is probably going to play the slot and they'll try to play Michael Thomas as an X. And then Chris Olave, who, no, I was not that high on him, but he is very clearly a wide receiver too in the NFL. He is a great route runner who has good hands and is really intelligent about how to figure out zone coverages. He's not going to get jammed at the line. He's going to be off the line because Michael Thomas plays up on that X, up on that line of scrimmage. He's going to get freer releases. He's going to do really well with those freer releases. And he's probably the fastest dude that they've had starting at wide receiver for them in like eight years. And then, by the way, Deontay Hardy, see, I got his new last name right. Deontay Hardy is a dynamo with the ball in his hands. So just get him the ball on those screens. Let him run deep. Chris Olave can run deep. He did it like crazy at Ohio State as a junior. Like, it's not good, but it's so much better than what they had last year. Like, God forbid Trevor Penning learns how to pass block at all, just at all, just figures out a little bit of what it's supposed to look like. This offense could be significantly better than it was last year. And last year when it had Jameis, it was okay. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely going to have much more dependable receiving. Yeah. Uh, Jarvis and Michael Thomas being added to the room. Uh, Chris Olave, you know, he's incredibly productive in college. He has a good floor of athletic traits. You know, he's not incredible at any of them, but he's quick. He's going to be able to get off the line like you were talking about. And he just has a very good feel for the field. He sets people up so well in his routes. He's just, he's playing mind games with people. Yeah, so they have people that are going to be able to get open. I don't think they have a, a like dynamic receiving threats and yeah. their issue might be man coverage. Yeah. Well, Olave is good with that, but yeah, not Olave is, but Jarvis can't game. beat it at all. That's not Michael Thomas's game. Um, so they're going to struggle if teams try and play a lot of man against them, which I imagine that'll happen a bit. Um, Trevor Penning, you know, he's, I'm not going to get like too into projection with him because who knows, you know, training camp to now, but it looks like he's going to give up some 
some pass rush. Like it's going to be a significant drop between him and uh, Armstead, which is to be expected. Uh, but it's going to put more pressure on them, and they're going to have guys that aren't as good at getting open, like just based off their athletic traits. So that's where, again, I just think that they don't have a high ceiling of being able to score. So even if everything goes well for them, there's a bit of a plotting offense that needs time and a good set of circumstances to score consistently. Like Alvin Kamara is is the ultimate bailout for them. Yeah. But other than that, you know, it's a lot of dinks and dunks that they're going to have to do. And that shit takes time. Yeah. Like you, you can't, you're not going to be able to run a lot of two minute drills with that offense. No. And so I think that's where it, they get into like that 15 range. And like, I like the algorithms look on them. So I'm not exactly hitting the gas like you are, though. I think it's, it's a tentative it's a tentative light speed up. You're you're accelerating into a turn and I am accelerating onto a highway. Like Exactly. I'm I'm pounding that gas pedal and you are pulling away from the curb. Um which I think is fair. And frankly, I err on the side. Like I feel like I'm a little aggressive putting them at team number 7. I think that's more a reflection of how top heavy the NFL is this year rather than uh some kind of real support for the Saints. But I think we've exhausted our conversation on the Saints, which, by the way, by the way, I will note, we began our very first podcast last year talking about how high I was on the Saints. And that one was one of the best like predictions you've made in the last few years that I can remember because you were calling Saints over Packers in week one for like three months. Oh, I was so excited. I was I, mm, I should have bet more. <laughs> it's what it's what you say after every win. Correct. All right. Well, it's moving on past the New Orleans Saints. We'll stick in the NFC South and talk about the Carolina Panthers. The algorithm has them as number nine. Joe has them as number 10. ESPN has them as number 29. And Vegas has them at number 28. So what do you got for me, Joe? Okay, so... In Vegas and ESPN's, well, in Vegas's defense, these power rankings were put together before the Baker Mayfield trade. I'm sorry. I know that this is not very helpful, uh, but note that after the Baker Mayfield trade, their season win total only jumped up about half a half a game. So I don't think it's particularly relevant. They are still lined to win six and a half games. Uh, so it's not like Vegas is suddenly high on the Panthers. I don't think this is totally unrepresentative of what they believe. And this ESPN power rating article literally came out like yesterday. So they know goddamn well what they're doing. Uh, does anybody in the audience want to guess why we're high on the Panthers? I will wait. I will wait. I am done waiting. It's because they got Baker Mayfield. And we think, I mean, I'm going to speak for you on this one, Alex. One of the largest, if not the largest, market inefficiencies in NFL media, in the zeitgeist, is the misevaluation of Baker Mayfield, particularly in the last six months, eight months. Uh, I think it's fair to say it in, in the last year. Yeah. Because he people turned on him pretty quickly after last season started. Suspiciously, would, right around halfway through week two, would you say? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely tied to his injury. That's when they started playing worse. But I would say he's had a, a little bit of like a public renaissance since the Deshaun Watson news. Yeah. Because if you were talking, 
talking to a non-Browns fan about Baker Mayfield, they were probably going to tell you that he was terrible and the Browns needed to find a new quarterback immediately. Otherwise, they were going to waste the careers of, you know, any number of guys in the Browns that are actually good. And then once the Deshaun stuff happened and the Browns became public enemy number one, everyone was like, hey, that Baker Mayfield guy, he he's he's had some really good seasons before. Like, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to judge. <laughs> right? Like, I remember when he set a bunch of records his rookie year with fucking Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens and Greg Williams running the show. But, uh, you know, whatever. Um, we've, we've gone down that road so many goddamn times why we think Baker Mayfield's underrated. And if you haven't heard, go check out the podcast, the last podcast we did where we broke down the top eight quarterbacks in the NFL. If that sounds fishy to you, go fuck yourself. I have him as QB four. Maybe I'm too high on him. We'll fucking find out. No reason to argue about it. Um, if, if you don't want to listen to that one, you can realistically just like flip a coin and do either or for any of the other podcasts. And we're probably going to talk about Baker Mayfield in one of them. He comes up. He comes up. Um, but yeah, I I think that Carolina's okay. First of all, Carolina's coached really poorly, I believe. Uh, I think Matt Rule's a jackass, and I think that he's kind of proven it every time he's given a chance to. Um, I'll give him a little break on the whole like Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold quarterback competition, just because if you bring Baker Mayfield in after the PR nightmare that was his last season in the NFL, and you tell a bunch of players like, hey, this is your quarterback now. Everybody on Twitter is going to dunk on you, uh, and he is a small in stature man compared to other quarterbacks. Like he don't like Sam Darnold looks the part. He's six four. He's he's big dude. He's got like the strong jaw. Like he would have been a leading man in Hollywood circa nineteen fifty because uh, his grandpa was literally the Marlboro Man. Um, Baker Mayfield kind of looks like a dude who plays a lot of Call of Duty, probably because he is a dude who plays a lot of Call of Duty. Um, but so I understand the whole like psychological dynamic of needing to like show your players like, hey, which one do you think's better? The one who's very clearly fucking better or the one who you already knew who sucks? I, I think that there's a lot of value in that pedagogy. Um, however, just the general insistence upon playing 1985 football, five down linemen trying to stuff the run, drafting, you know, nose tackle, defensive tackles, insisting upon running the ball, not liking to go for it on fourth down, punting from midfield, typical Mike Vrabel type shit. Uh, I think Matt Rule's a fucking idiot personally. And I don't, I don't know. I've heard some good things about Ben McAdoo, but last time I saw him, I was not impressed. Not impressed at all. You know, coaching Eli Manning's corpse has got to be tough, but the shit, the shit was conservative and unimpressive. Any who's it's enough about the negative because we're talking about a team we're high on. Last year, the big gripe that everybody had was, oh, this offensive line sucks. But if you look at it now, with the exception of Iki Aquanu, I think you probably have four solid offensive linemen. And then I personally think Iki Aquanu is probably some version of Greg Robinson. But God forbid he lives up to the billing of being the sixth overall pick. All of a sudden, you've got a legitimately good offensive line with legitimately good wide receivers in DJ Moore, who you love, Robbie Anderson, who I like, and then Shai Smith, who is just blowing up training camp. And my comp for him coming out of college was Debo Samuel which if correct would be pretty good for a third receiver. You got Rashard Higgins who Baker has shown he can make a third wide receiver and you got Christian McCaffrey who realistically could play wide receiver on like 20 different teams and start. Um, that That's 
probably, and I, we should actually get into this. I think that's probably the most offensive talent Baker Mayfield has had since he came into the NFL. Would you agree? Mm, that's an interesting one to come up with. Cause I think last year he had a pretty good group of offensive talent. I think it was misused. Um, and obviously then he got hurt and a lot of those players got hurt because the offensive line last year for the Browns was elite. Yeah. On paper. On paper. When healthy, just, which never happened. When healthy, elite. Exactly. It just they were they were beat up the entire year and were constantly missing two of those guys. And you know, David Njoku, who I like a lot, I think he's a really good option, Boom. especially as a receiving option. Just he's he's a matchup problem. Yeah, I know he can't catch, but I think he's good. Austin Hooper is not a number one guy or, you know, not an exciting number one, but he's a really good compliment. He's like a CJ Uzoma. He knows how to play the position and he can be there when you create a void for him. Exactly. So if you have those two tight ends, I think you have a really good tight end room. Um, Harrison Bryant could catch as well. The wide receivers, not great. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Um, OBJ on paper is still a solid option. Obviously, he didn't want to be there. And even if he does want to be there, he's not a number one guy anymore. And he he looked substantially worse in Cleveland than he did in L.A. Yeah, I mean, he looked disinterested. Yeah. Jarvis Landry, he was also hurt the entire year, and we've had our gripes with him. He's not he's not beating anyone in man coverage ever, but he can find holes in zones, and he catches well enough. Um, he is fine. DPJ, Richard Higgins, they, those are just dudes. So they didn't have the greatest wide receivers, but Kareem Hunt, again, a guy that was not healthy for most of the year, he's a really good receiving option out of the backfield on top of creating a lot in the running game. And Nick Chubb doesn't really do anything in the passing game, but he's a really good running back. So just at like depth of offensive talent, they may have had more last year in Cleveland's on paper, but these are probably the best set of pass catchers he's had. I Yeah, running game aside, and, and let's, hey, Christian McCaffrey's no slouch. He's probably not Nick Chubb as a runner because I don't think, I don't think anybody is. I think he's Nick Chubb's probably the best running back in the NFL, just running the ball. I agree. Christian McCaffrey's up there when he's healthy. He's top five, probably, uh, and adds the element of being an excellent receiver, whereas Nick Chubb is not capable of catching screens that often. He's like 50-50 on them. Um, yeah. But you could argue that better wide receivers, slightly worse tight end, similar at worst running backs, and practically a similar offensive line, because while that Browns offensive line was elite last year, J.C. Treader practiced maybe three times the entire season because his knee was giving out on him. Uh, Jedrick Wills destroyed his ankle like a quarter into the season, like a quarter of a game into the season. Yeah, it's a week one. Yeah. And and they had James Hudson playing tackle for them, like for many yeah, games. Conklin was hurt throughout the year and then he yeah. finally came back after a layoff and broke his kneecap or like did something to end his season. Like yep. it, that dude played four games as well. Yeah. So, so like any talk of like, Oh, Baker Mayfield's used to having an offensive line. That's super elite. Like fucking when can you point to it? Cause I don't see it. Um, they were good in 2020. In 2020, they were good until the playoffs when everybody was hurt again. And Baker Mayfield still played really fucking well in the playoffs. So like, I don't know. It's almost like we make these narratives out of fucking whole cloth because they feel right. 
um, even though they have nothing to do with what happens on football fields. Anyhow, Baker Mayfield's the reason for optimism. The offensive line is probably similarly underrated because, like, you can go through it. Taylor Moten's a really, really good offensive tackle that nobody knows about for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I barely even knew who he was pre- previous to the Baker trade. Now I'm like, wow, this guy's real good. Yeah. One dude you might have heard of uh, is a guy named Austin Corbett. Ring any bells. Uh, one-time high Browns draft pick, going to play right guard for the Rams. Has He didn't really work out with the, with the Browns for whatever reason, but with the Rams, he turned into a very solid B2B plus caliber offensive guard, consistent, really good in the pass game, nothing to worry about here. Uh, Bradley Bozeman acquitted himself pretty well with the Ravens and kind of established himself as a low-end starter, like a B2B minus caliber center. And God forbid anything happens to him, which something kind of already happened to him. Him. uh pat elfine's not a good center but he is enough that he will not tank your offensive line he is a c plus journeyman caliber offensive interior lineman on the left side things get a little more uh, a little more chaotic got brady christensen uh at left guard he's a converted tackle out of byu he's the one who kept zach wilson so goddamn clean that one year where zach wilson looked good the one year zach wilson has ever looked good <laughs> uh <laughs> I like Brady Christensen. I liked him coming out. He's a little older. He's 25 or 26 because Mormons do as Mormons do. Got to go talk to people in Africa about Joseph Smith, I guess. But uh, he's probably bilingual. Oh, he's certainly bilingual. And he probably has got some other real wholesome talents, but he also probably sucks at parties. Uh, because we're judging Mormons based on their faith. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he could be a really good left guard. And I think at the least he'll be serviceable because he is just too large, too athletic and too smart to not be a C plus guard. And then Iki Aquanu, he's looked bad in the preseason, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, he run blocks real pretty. And, you know, like Duke Manyweather loves that shit. I don't give a fuck about it because the run game means dick all to me. But, you know, he could be decent in the pass game. And if he can just be a C-plus caliber left tackle, that's a good, not great, but good offensive line. And when you contrast that with how much of a disaster their offensive line was last year, look, the team won like five games last year, but they've upgraded their quarterback massively and their offensive line significantly. They're getting healthy again with Christian McCaffrey coming back. Dude, what if? Like, you take you take a team and you take their quarterback and instead of having like a bottom 10 quarterback guaranteed, you have like a top 10 quarterback. You take an offensive line and it's bottom 10 for sure and you make it at least top 15. That's worth at least a few wins. You know, that puts this at like an, it's an eight, nine win team. And personally, I think I see about 10 wins on their schedule. That certainly does not belong in the bottom five teams like ESPN and Vegas seem to have them rated. Yeah. I don't know if they'll get to 10 wins because I think that line, while much better, still has some serious holes. And it's a lot of projection for him. I mean, it, it is guys that have done well in previous places, but this first time they're coming to this spot with this coaching who we don't think is very good. Um, so I think they're going to be growing pains there. I like the defense for the most part. Uh, if they're healthy, I mean, I think they're they're pretty good because they have guys that can cover and guys that can rush the passer. And I think if you have those two things, you're in a pretty good spot. I mean, they're not elite rushing the passer, but they're they're getting there as far as coverage, at least in their top two corners. They're pretty set. Oh, I love um, I love their corners. J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson. Give me more of that. Fuck. Yeah. And fuck, even Dante Jackson is very fast. He can he has a role. Uh, hopefully it's not as a starting cornerback, but as a matchup dude, 
Fuck yeah. So their their corners are exciting. I mean, I like Brian Burns. I'm still waiting for him to like really break out. Um, I don't know if it'll ever like he's yeah. ever gonna be a star. He'll never but be a I star, think but he could be good. But he could be really good. Um, and you know, they have some good defensive line talent that's gonna clog up and put pressure on an offense to have to pass and create, which then leads into their corners pretty well. So I think their defense is pretty solid and it will help them out. I think their issue as far as wins go is that they're in a tough division. Yeah. And it's a bit of projection, a lot of new guys with bad coaching. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of room where that can go bad. Uh, We're talking about all the things these guys should do, but there is a, a realm where Baker doesn't really hit a stride. He can't gel with the offense. Not that I think it's really going to happen. It seems like he's already gelling with them a bit, but you know, with the, the offense McAdoo runs or whatever, it just doesn't really flush out beyond middling. And now you have a decent defense that's trying to make up for an offense that can't really click because the O lines patchwork, the coaching is conservative and bad. Yeah. And, you know, and it's a quarterback that got picked up how long before training camp started? I think two weeks. Yeah. On a one year deal trying to revive his career. Um, And and for all we know, they could literally. So there is there is room where it goes bad. But 28 and 29 in the league, like Vegas and ESPN have them is incredibly low. And, you know, they're much better than that. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, like one of our guarantee, it's not a guarantee of a pick. Like it's not guaranteed to win, but it's guaranteed that we will make this pick. They're, they're laying one point at home against what is left of the Browns with Jacoby Brissett. Dude, dude. Yeah, like come it's on. crazy to think about because that line was probably like plus three for the Panthers two months ago. I mean, I I personally have two units on it at uh, Panthers plus three. Yes. Okay, and that was probably still after Baker got traded. Slightly after Baker got traded. Yes. Yeah. Like like um, a, a week afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So that I mean that, that number has already moved like crazy, but yeah, they're they're being under undervalued still. Yeah. Like, even with the things that can go wrong. Exactly. There's there's a world in which we are significantly too high on the Panthers because Baker Mayfield is like Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott levels of average, and the offense just turns into a Mike Vrabel run the ball up the gut until you have to punt kind of offense. Uh, and if they do that, I still can't see them winning less than like six games. Like, I think that's their floor considering they won four games last year with a shit offensive line and a terrible fucking quarterback, be it Sam Darnold, uh, the corpse of the corpse of the rotten corpse of Cam Newton or PJ Walker's tiny little ass. So like, you know, PJ Walker's like five, nine, you know that? I did not know that. I didn't know he's that small. Yeah, no, he, he looks less small than that on TV, but he is very small. He is, he's as big as Kyler Murray says Kyler Murray is. Uh, anyway. Well, Kyler says he's 5'10". <laughs> Me too, bud. <laughs> uh anyhow i'm 5'7 so i'm not 5'10 i'm the same height as kyler murray in real life anyway i think there's a lot of room for us to be wrong and them to still be significantly better than picking in the top five the only thing that scares me is uh well i think you'll notice a pattern alex what's the next team that we're both kind of high on or at least that i'm high on yeah say don't don't necessarily lump me in with you um next team that we are gassing Sticking in the NFC South, mm-hmm. the Atlanta Falcons. So the is- algorithm has them at 17. 
Joe has them at 19. And then both ESPN and Vegas have them as the 32nd team in the NFL. Now, now, Joe, I don't necessarily agree with you here. So go ahead and tell me why uh, why everybody else is wrong. Okay, I would just like to make sure 32nd is still last, right? That is correct. Yeah, unless there is the, the shadow team playing this year. Yeah, as, as I understand it, the 33rd team is still just Mike Tannenbaum's passion project on Twitter. Uh, either way. The issue that I alluded to earlier when breaking down Carolina is that we're high on, or I'm high on goddamn near the entire NFC South, which I believe is the second best division in football. Maybe the first, but probably second. Yeah, I think so. Uh, AFC West is a fucking juggernaut, uh, as, especially if they can get some decent coaching out of San Diego. But I digress. I love Atlanta this year, as I do every year. And uh, I told myself basically all summer, I am not going to fall into the Atlanta trap. I am not going to be high on Atlanta. And then I was doing my power rankings and I, I, the algorithm had Atlanta at 17. And I was like, that's too high. Got to be lower on Atlanta. So I did my manual power rankings and I was looking to place them somewhere. And I was like, I, I, I can see putting them around 20, but I can't see putting them any lower. So I have them at 19, which isn't great. It's bottom, damn near the bottom third of the league. But the way I look at it, I like Drake London a lot. And uh, this is assuming he can stay healthy, which he hasn't shown us in about a calendar year. But he's a legitimate number one receiver. He is an X that is great after the catch that has incredible hands, probably the best jump ball receiver I've graded coming out of college. And I've been doing this for like seven years, six or seven. Wow, seven years. I'm old. Um, I'd say you're getting old, man. Boy, I know it. So they've got a great prospect of an X receiver and his skills will translate. I'm fairly certain. They've got Kyle Pitts, who is, I don't want to say an amazing tight end because he's not really a tight end, but he's a great receiver. He receives greatly. Um, I, I, Alamade Zacchaeus has a spot. Like he is your quintessential volume receiver who's not actually very good, uh, but he's like consistently, you know, he's going to do that Jarvis Landry thing where or he's going to get the ball. He's going to catch it. He's going to get slightly open. He's going to run those possession routes, typically out of the slot. He'll be useful. It's a goddamn shame they don't have Calvin Ridley because he would fit so perfectly to make this wide receiver room very complete, very, very good. Uh, as it stands, it's solid. And then you add in Corderell Patterson, a solid running back. You add in Arthur Smith, who is going to create advantageous run looks. Uh, so he'll have a little bit of that Shanahan wide zone kind of scheming to his runs. It'll be effective, a little bit more physical than a Shanahan style run game, but whatever. The offensive line isn't great, but it's got pieces that I think can come together and be average. Uh, it's probably the weakest part of the offense. And then the, the thing that is underlying all of this, the the elephant in the room is Marcus Mariota, whom I love, whom Alex has booed me for before. But I think that when Marcus Mariota is healthy, he is a top 10 quarterback in this NFL. That's a big if because he's never healthy. But we're not betting season win totals here. We're talking about teams we're looking to gas. Obviously, don't bet on Marcus Mariota or don't bet on the Falcons if Marcus Mariota is hurt because there goes a large part of the handicap. But we're looking for we're looking to bet on the Falcons or I'm looking to bet on the Falcons in games when Marcus Mariota is healthy and they are playing a team that is not great. Like, yeah, they're still probably going to get blown out by teams like the Bucks and the Rams. That's going to happen. But I don't think this is a four win team. I don't think this is a 
bottom three team. I think that they would beat the living shit out of the Texans or the Jets or the Bears. Yeah, so I think that's where we differ a bit. Um, I don't think they're the worst in the league because at least with Mariota playing, you know, I'm yeah, I booed you because I don't think he's in the top eight. Um, but I do think Mariota is a good quarterback. I think there's just also the issue of he's only gonna play half the year. Um, and so that bakes into why it can never be that high on him until I see him play a full season or darn near it in his without six nagging injuries. Um, but he is a solid quarterback that will get the ball to two blue chip prospects in Drake London and Kyle Pitts and Kyle Pitts. We've seen be very good yeah. catching the ball and making things happen with it. Um, that O-line is shaky. Yeah. Like, you know, it's not, it's not devoid of talent, but I don't feel confident in them. I would list them as a weakness. I would too. I mean, they've got, they've got two dudes in Caleb Bengary and Chris Lindstrom or Lindstrom, who I think will become good at least eventually. They got Jake Matthews, who's legitimately good. And then they've got big question marks at left guard and center. Yeah. That's not good. Um, and both Mayfield and Lindstrom are young injection with them as well. Yeah. Um, so that line scares the shit out of me. And then the defense is just bad. It's, you know, there are a couple guys. Grady Jarrett is still good. Yeah. Um, I mean, the I like the corners. The corners are good. Yeah, the, dude, if Casey Hayward can be the Casey Hayward that Casey Hayward was last year, and like, honestly, if, if he can just be the dude he's been every year since he left Green Bay, that could be the best cornerback tandem in the NFL. I just have to believe that at some point, Casey Hayward's athleticism is going to leave him behind. Like, he, he's in his mid-30s, dude. Like, Yeah. No, I thought he was going to start declining like two seasons ago. I thought he was going to suck last year, and he was great. Yeah. Uh, AJ Terrell is very good. Oh, yeah. But it, that's kind of it. You know, Deion Jones is fast. I like him as a linebacker and kind of just like cover a bit, be able to range around the field. But he's never healthy either. Yeah. Uh, Rashawn Evans is not good. I hate Rashawn Evans. Lorenzo Carter has some pass rush juice. I like Lorenzo Carter, low key. I know you do. I remember you loved him coming out as yeah. well. But he doesn't move the needle. He's, he's not, he shouldn't be your premier pass rusher. That's for sure. No, he's just kind of, he's, he should be like a nice option for you. Yeah, he's a second guy. He's, he's he, your Robin. Yeah. Um. But other than that, that defense is bad. Yeah. Like they have Grady Jarrett, AJ Terrell, Casey Hayward, and then sometimes Deion Jones when he's healthy. Other than that, bad. Yeah. Like not bad. even just like, oh, these guys are like replaceable average level guys. It's like bad. Bad safeties, like really like Browns level bad safeties in Richie Grant and Jalen Hawkins. That is bad. Um, yeah. I, I really, their defensive line outside of Grady Jarrett. So like Anthony Rush, he's a nose tackle. So like how bad can it get? I don't know who Anthony Rush is. So that's how bad it can get. Taquan Graham, a fifth round pick last year. I'm sorry. I don't know about you either. And if I don't know about you, it ain't a good sign. Uh, Adito Kunbo Ogundeji is their- The TD uh, Kumbo. Sure. Yeah, that's that's their starting edge aside, uh, aside from Lorenzo Carter. 
I'm not super stoked on that thought. Uh, they do have Arnold Ebiketti as their as their third rusher, so their rotational rusher, second round pick out of Penn State. He's really technically sound, and he's got really good pop. And is is going to get kind of technical, but he's got really strong hands, and he can really. It's not that he has a good first step, but it's that when he makes contact with an offensive lineman's torso, he has staying power, so that'll help him against the run, and it'll help him set up moves against in pass rushing scenarios uh but he's not yet good he's not yet a starter uh linebackers aren't really that relevant but yeah lots of holes in this defense i love dean pease i really love dean pease and dean pease can only do so much this is a yeah, lot i remember task. dean pease was like half of your handicap for them literally my handicap on their defense last year was dude they fucking got dean pease the defense has to be okay it doesn't have to be okay it turns out you still need people on your defense to do the things that make dean pease dean pease uh and, and they don't have that many they could really use an influx of talent on defense yeah but in the meantime i think that's why games and then you have a not great offensive line that isn't going to be able to buy them a lot of time so it's going to be entirely on Mariota and the couple prospects they have to do everything and i think that's just a bad combination i agree that i they should beat up on the jets the houston's the bears those types of teams but I don't think it's like they wallop those guys because they're still going to give up points at will. So I agree they're not last in the league, but they're they're high 20s. See, I can't disagree that much because like I have them at 19. So if you want to put them in the 20s, I hear it. But yeah, I think they're closer to 32 than they are 19. I OK, just real quick. Do you think they're worse than the Dolphins? Yes. Really? Yes. Well, we're going to have to save that one for next week. because I got opinions on them. <laughs> okay. I don't think the Dolphins are good. I think they're in the same boat, but I think the Dolphins have a higher floor. Yeah, we, we have seen the Dolphins be a competent team, albeit a lucky one, whereas we have not yeah. seen Atlanta be competent in many years. Yeah, and the Dolphins just have, like, they have some depth to them. Like, they're not a good team, but they don't have the incredible drop-off like Atlanta does. But we can talk about the Dolphins at a later date. Yeah, no no need to talk about the Dolphins. You are onto something, though, with the Falcons. They are so thin. They are, it's not even that they're thin, like, at all the positions. It's that they're thin, like, in units. Like, you take away one starting offensive lineman, and all of a sudden that offensive line is, like, dangerously bad. You take away one good player in that secondary and all of a sudden it is dangerously bad. Like they're just inches away from being dreadful in a lot of ways, even in areas where they are currently good. Like Drake London gets hurt, which seems to always happen now. All of a sudden their receiving core looks dangerously bad. Yeah, I think they're in a tough spot talent-wise. I think they have good talent at some important positions, be it quarterback and offensive playmaker. Yeah. But they have no depth, and they're bad at everything else. It's like whoever's evaluating their talent, and I know who it is. It's it's Phil Emery because he once used to run the Bears, and we got rid of him for the sin of not liking Brian Erlacher's old ass. Um, they're picking players well. They simply haven't had the cap space or the assets to get the players. Because right now, they're like cap-strapped right now, and they're going to be next year, and they got nobody on payroll. Just for Yeah, me. I mean, they're, they're still, because they have a ton of dead money from Julio and Matt Ryan. Don't exactly. They? They're just recovering from making championship runs in the mid-teens. Is that how you yeah. refer to 2010 through 2020? Like, Dude, I have no idea. Apparently, the first 10 years are the aughts. 
I actually like that one. I I enjoy it. Like I think it sounds decent, but like and I, it makes sense to me. However, I just had to hear it from someone someday and then be like, oh, okay. So I think that's the same way regarding the teens period. But like, I'm going to hear it from some teenager one day and then be like, oh, this is what people call it. But the teens was World War One. We already did that. And we're not on football anymore. Anyways, the Falcons the are Falcons recovering. have to clear some money, but it's just a, a thing of time. So, yeah, they can just fucking toil for another year, maybe two, get some draft picks. If Marcus Mariota hits, if like if, if they are sold on him and he is the guy I think he is, next year could be huge because they're getting Calvin Ridley back and they have a first round pick to spend on a real player rather than a quarterback. Yeah. And they have the benefit of they're in Atlanta. And people want to go there. Yeah. You know, you're not trying to convince guys to go to Cleveland or Buffalo or something where you're in some small town that it's going to be shitty weather for eight months out of the year. You don't have to give them like $230 million guaranteed and an ironclad contract that absolves you of all your sins. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, you can just get guys for regular market value in spite of their 26 alleged sins. I don't know what you're talking about. That has been solved and it didn't happen. Nothing happened. Seven games over, done with. Hell yeah, Houston. Third that game. Is it is it 27 minutes per accusation? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, you did that, man. Um so the the issue that I have with all three of the teams that I've been high on so far is that they play in the NFC South. And and so those wins have to come from somewhere, right? And like they're going to beat up on each other. It's like the SEC, like somebody's got to lose these games. Um the other issue is that like you might be thinking, "Oh, Tampa Bay wasn't on this list. Maybe Joe's low on them." No, not a fucking chance because they're my number one team in the NFL. It's just that everybody knows that. Like, what is the use in saying like, oh, you know that Tom Brady fella? I heard he's good at football. I don't give a fuck that he took two weeks off to go discuss terms of his divorce in the Bahamas. Is that what you think it is? Maybe. Interesting. That'd be wild. That'd be quite the blockbuster. I, if he's getting divorced, I think we gotta we gotta drop him a little bit because I don't know if Tom will really be all the way in it. Oh fuck! I wish we were doing the fucking sound clips because this would be a perfect moment to drop in. We're playing divorced guys. <laughs> Shout out to Goon. Oh, God, what a movie. Um, Granted, if Tom does get divorced, maybe he just plays unreal because he's like, you know, this family shit has been holding me back. Right? Like we might get rampage mode Tom. Last time we saw Tom Brady without a child in his life was 2007, right before he knocked up Bridget Moynihan. And that motherfucker was murdering people. He was also 15 years younger, but he was 30. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Man. Right? I did that math. In my He's head and so I'm like, fucking old. <laughs> God, that lines up perfectly. It was literally 15 years ago and he was literally 30 years old and he was dominating people. And then he continued for 15 years. What a, what a sport. What a specimen. Oh, dude, Tom Brady's actually a great segue to the team that I'm low on in the NFC because he's from San Mateo, which is in the Bay Area, which is where this team technically is from, even though they're not. The San Francisco 49ers, a team. Now, this is a change up for us. Into the other side, the first and only fade of the NFC. Yeah. They are ranked number 11 on the algorithm, number 16 with Joe. And then ESPN has them at number seven, and Vegas has them at number six. 
insert puke emoji. Like I get that I might be low at 16 and the algorithm tells me that I am because Kyle Shanahan's such a goddamn savant that they should be better than middle of the pack. But six or seven with Trey Lance. Have people seen Trey Lance? Like, do they know? I Yeah, I think because I get a little bit into this as well. And obviously you can give me more of your breakdown. But my understanding is that people think that he's going to have not like a Josh Allen blow up or a Mahomes blow up where he didn't play and then he comes in and is just incredible. But people seem to really think that he's going to be able to run at will and he can put the ball anywhere. So even though he's not going to be perfect, he's going to make that offense really, really scary because they can do everything. Um, I tend to agree about the running. I think they are going to be able to do whatever the fuck they want running the ball because the 49ers typically can do that anyway. And now you have what I think is a pretty elite running threat at quarterback. Yeah. But the guy is still highlight thrower bust regarding his his throwing. You know, he's had some decent preseason games, decent That's- stretches of preseason games, but he hasn't done it consistently. His college didn't say that he'd be able to do it at all, given that he didn't throw the ball in college. And when we have seen him play in NFL games, it hasn't been great. So it feels like he's a lot of the the handicap and that's just where our difference comes from. Yeah. I mean, so before I get into breaking down Trey Lance, which is basically what this whole thing is about, I would like to say that we were both low on San Francisco last year when we knew exactly what they had at quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo was not good. Uh, I actually, a lot, I've noticed lately that a lot of like... I'm sorry, but I don't know a better way to explain this. A lot of the mainstream media heads, uh, like, you know, like a lot of the typical talking heads that you hear about have Jimmy Garoppolo as like a top 12 quarterback. I always hear everybody say top 12, which is an oddly specific number that is also very wrong because he's, he's bad. He's below average. I think Monk- that that is at least understood a little bit in the league because no one will even like trade for the guy at all. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, like even Baker, who has a terrible reputation right now. Or did. Yeah, like even he got moved. Yeah, I I think that the league and people who pay attention know that Jimmy Garoppolo sucks, but like the people who are box score readers and narrative builders, like seem yeah, the, to think that he's like the, a legit the typical, just like casual watcher of cowherds, ESPN people, etc. Like the big names, uh, the people who are casual, but anyhow, we were low on them then because like Debo Samuel gets so much fucking hype and dude, he barely got a thousand yards receiving last year, like barely. And they had nobody else else to throw to because Kittle was hurt like all year yes he was so he's their only target and he's barely getting a thousand yards and it's because Debo Samuel's not actually a great receiver he's a solid receiving option as a wide receiver now the fact that he can come in and play wide back like oh super cool it's very trendy it's very thick but that just makes him a running back which makes him matter less so I don't really see the upside like the dude drops balls a lot he is a dropsy receiver and he's not particularly fast he's explosive with the ball in his hands but just as a matter of getting open of stretching the field not his game as a route runner he sucks Kyle Shanahan's a genius that'll get him open in space he'll manufacture some looks for him he'll get him touches and he's really good after the catch because he's so strong and hard to tackle my comp for him coming out was Golden Tate who was like before Debo Samuel happened Golden Tate was the running back playing wide receiver who was difficult to tackle so like this is who we thought he would be he's just not that good as a receiver Uh, Brandon Ayuk hasn't seemed to catch on and if you can't catch on with Kyle Shanahan I got bad news for you 
Uh, the offensive line has got really good pieces in spots, but also has really big holes along the entire fucking interior. Like Trent Williams, Savant, Elite, probably the best tackle in the league. If not, then like second best, but it's like, it's a matter of preference. Yeah, he's, he's in the the top conversation. I would go Anyone's- ahead. Yeah. I, I no would one's going to healthy- disagree with you when yeah. you say he's elite. I would go a healthy David Bakhtiari, but that's because I highly prioritize pass blocking and I don't care about run blocking. But like, if you're going to say Trent Williams is the best, I'm going to say like, okay, yeah, totally. He's fucking awesome. Um, that said, like the rest of the offensive line, like McGlinchey is a good right tackle. He's good. Not great. He's close to great. He's not great though. And then the entire interior is like, huh, well, let's hope. Um, they've had like, they've had just complete, just total issues at center. They just keep running through dudes. They had a retirement. Oh fuck. Who was their, their starting center retired like a year ago. And they've been trying to fill the void with players who are good, but keep getting injured. So they're like down to their last straw. So they got question marks along the interior of the offensive line. Got a huge question mark at quarterback who we'll discuss in a moment. Running back doesn't matter. And Shanahan will make him good anyway. Wide receivers. Okay. Let's call him. Okay. I actually really, really like uh, gray. I forget his first name. 86 out of SMU. I want to say Danny gray, but that might be wrong. Uh, dude is just so fast he's a he's a pure burner uh he's a little raw he doesn't really run routes very well but he's super fast and he's got decent enough hands for you know for a deep threat he's got good hands for a deep well no he's got okay hands for a deep threat and he'll really open up some things downfield so that'll just help Debo be more productive with all those like 10 yard in cuts that he loves running to get the ball into his hands in space um but it again like no part of this offense we've mentioned so far is great not you know much less elite Kittle is elite Kittle is fucking really good and difficult to stop and yeah it's frustratingly good um and Kyle Shanahan is a top five play caller just is it's it's Andy Reid and Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan is right there with McVay um it all really comes down to Trey Lance. And at the risk of talking too much, my, my breakdown out of, out of college for Trey Lance, I watched five games because it was really hard to get tape on him. Uh, he, he played one year in Division Two or Division One AA, which is Division fucking two. Uh, he played Southern Illinois. I gave him a D. He played James Madison, who is typically very good in Division Two. No NFLers or anything on their defense, but he got a fucking resounding F. Um, they played South Dakota, who is good amongst amongst the Division Two ilk, and he actually looked really good. He got an A minus on the game. His deep ball was sick, but they threw the ball like thirteen times because the entire time he was at North Dakota State, they ran a wishbone offense. When I first watched Trey Lance, I was scouting Jeremy Chin at Southern Illinois, and I. I legitimately set, thought he was a fucking fullback because all he was doing was running up the gut. And he's a big man. Like he's a very strong runner. The issue is just that he can't really pass. And North Dakota knew that. Like you would change your offense if you're North Dakota State and you have an NFL caliber passing quarterback. But they didn't. So they didn't. And they won a ton of games. But they had a second round pick wide receiver in Christian Watson, freak athlete. They had him. They didn't use him. Why? Because they didn't think they could. Or at least it wouldn't be as efficient as running the ball with a bunch of big, uh, unathletic, gritty, uh, coach's son, lunch pail type running backs and averaging five or six yards a carry and having Trey Lance pound the ball inside. He was late on almost all of his reads. The level of competition was terrible and he still didn't shine as a passer or as a reader of defenses. And 
his sophomore year, he played one game due to COVID and it was against Central Arkansas. It was supposed to be his big coming out party and he got another F. He threw two picks. He fumbled. He, he was accurate on 45% of his fucking passes. Aimed passes, 45% accuracy. That's unconscionable. He got an F despite having six positive runs. Do you know how hard that is to do? If you take away his positive runs, this is like, this is like Brandon Wimbush level shit. Like not NFL backup caliber shit. And granted, it's one game and it was in very weird circumstances. I get it. But he had two positive throws in the entire game and they were due to busted coverages where he underthrew players, but they were wide open and downfield. So I had to give him props for finding the coverage bust. Uh, He panics under pressure. His arm is, he just does not control his throwing motion. His arm goes all over when he throws. So that leads to fumbles. It leads to delayed releases, which makes his reads look late. And it leads to just scattershot accuracy. Anybody out there who knows golf or baseball, he cuts his ball like all the fucking time. Like it just goes to the right of him and he has no idea where it's going. It's like, uh, I mean, it's like when you, you slice a fucking uh, drive, you hit a ball foul down the first baseline. Like he doesn't know where it's going either. Um, Granted, he's a very good runner. I gave him an A minus on mobility. So we're talking like I my comparison for him was like if you took Josh Allen and then you took about 10% off all his athleticism and like 25% off of his intelligence and like ability to process the game. Uh I also said maybe like maybe like low end Colin Kaepernick. I don't I don't mean that in any like derogatory ways. I actually loved Colin Kaepernick as a football player and like we're not here to do any of that shit. I'm sorry. I wish I had a better comp, but it's rare that you find a tall, strong running, fast cannon arm dude who doesn't know how to play football like on the mental side and just can't aim his passes. Uh, I gave him an A on arm power. I gave him a D on accuracy. I gave him a C on precision, C on pocket awareness, C minus on processing, A minus on mobility, overall C minus prospect, terrible on short passes. In the five games I graded, the dude was accurate on about 60% of his fucking aims passes in college, in D2, despite getting advantageous looks because he runs the ball a lot and you have to respect that. And then in the NFL, he's been fucking abysmal i graded both games that he played in the nfl both were significant f performances like he looked good against the packers in the preseason this year against backups in the preseason if he is anything like what we have seen to this point he is a bottom 10 quarterback for sure and probably bottom five and if he's a bottom five quarterback or even a bottom 10 quarterback how the fuck can you have the san francisco 49ers in the top 10 yeah i mean it all depends on him you just laid out a pretty good argument of why he's not good. I will say, you know, the the 49ers did it right. Of uh, They didn't really let him see the field last year. They took this incredibly raw prospect and went, okay, you're not going to play and get all fucked up because you don't know what you're doing yet. We're going to just sit you in a room and largely you're just going to watch film and figure shit out that way. So I think they put him in the best possible position on top of, you know, the interior line's not great, but they do have bookend tackles that are going to help give him time. And Kyle Shanahan can design the hell out of an office. Boy, can he. So he's not going to have to do a ton, especially throwing the ball. And the, the reason where I get into, okay, maybe they will be decent is that they were, you know, an overperforming, but maybe that's just what happens when you have Kyle Shanahan, because I think they've overperformed every year since they got honestly sent and got, I think it was Nick Bosa. And then after that was when they really took off, not necessarily because of Nick Bosa, but that was when it was the line of communication. Yeah. Um, 
since then, I feel like they've always been way better than they should be. So it might just be Shanahan, but like we haven't thought Galapagos was anything ever no, at no. any point in his career. And they've been good teams with Galapagos. So maybe quarterback just doesn't like Shanahan can scheme around quarterback pretty well, at least, you know, in the regular season. And with a guy that at least has some aspect that he's really good at, of he can run the ball really well. Yeah. Um, that they might be all right. I mean, again, I don't think they're that special talent wise, but I've never thought they were that special. I mean, the algorithm and I are really pretty similar a lot of the time, it seems like. And again, I think this is about where they should be. Maybe it's a little high, but around like 10 ish, a little lower, 10 to 10 to 14 in that range. I think that's probably right. Like I could see being a little too low on him at 16, but like, so, so like we've, we've always thought Jimmy Garoppolo kind of sucks. Right. And like, we know for a fact that Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard definitely suck like a lot. And Cal Shanahan has turned the 49ers into like an above 500 caliber team with all of the guys we just mentioned. And like, yes, they did go to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago against the chiefs, but I think we'll agree that they fucking shouldn't have been there. It just, they, they, I hate to say they got lucky, but they fucking got lucky. Uh, unless you been a lot of that in some recent Super Bowls. Well, yeah. A lot of times bad teams go to the Super Bowl. Like the Giants did it twice and they fucking won. Like bad teams go to, well, not bad, but like average teams go to the Super Bowl and they typically don't win and they typically don't come back, but it happens. I mean, like, are the Bengals good now because they made the Super Bowl? I think tomorrow or next week, rather, we'll argue no. But what do you mean? Didn't you read that new Ringer article about how anytime Joe Burrow wants the ball to go deep downfield, he innately knows how and he just says, be cool. And then it's it's a 60 yard completion to Jamar Chase. I think the real issue uh, is that Kevin Clark isn't a very good reporter. He never asked anybody why Joe Burrow doesn't simply always tell everybody to get an 80 yard touchdown, because if he did, it would just happen. But we need to stop right. on Joe Burrow and continue focusing on the 49ers. Our yeah, point you're, you're 100 percent right. You caught me because I was about to go down a rabbit hole. I want to and we could do that pod as soon as we finish this one. But for now, we're talking about how the 49ers have crap quarterbacks and manage to have winning seasons. And in retrospect, those seasons are easy to overrate because like, oh, dude, they went to the Super Bowl. They could have beat the Chiefs. Like, yeah, they did go to that Super Bowl. They fucking shouldn't have, but they did go. Last year, like, yeah, they did win a playoff game against the Cowboys. And then they won a playoff game against the Packers. But like in neither of those games, should they have won? The Packers gifted him that fucking game because Aaron Rodgers laid a fucking egg and then they had a blocked punt for touchdown that sealed it and the Cowboys just played like utter fucking dog shit and still kept it relatively close like Cowboys did the first round Cowboys thing yes Dak Prescott did the Dak thing where uh, as soon as scheme can't save him he cannot save him either um but yeah, so like in those in the past three seasons, the 49ers have been, regardless of quarterback, a solid team that is easy to, in your mind, misremember as a good or great team. And I think that if I don't think the drop off from last year to this year will be massive because of Jimmy Garoppolo turning into Trey Lance. I don't think the drop-off will even necessarily exist. But at last year, I thought the 49ers were a middle-of-the-pack type of team, you know, 10 to 16, somewhere in that range. And I don't think that changes just because they go from a guy we know kind of sucks to a dude that probably sucks fucking way worse, but could be good, could be great. I doubt it, but it could happen. Like, he has the capacities. Yeah, and I think that's an accurate look at them. I agree with you. I think we're kind of in the same boat. 
on a look at them overall. Uh, you know, they could be a pretty fucking good team again of in that in that kind of contender, but not super serious team. But they're definitely not in that like Vegas and ESPN have them because those are teams that are like, okay, they should definitely win their division. Or, you know, if they don't, they're locked into a wild card spot, basically. And we're talking about them as a very possible Super Bowl champ. And they don't come up in my Super Bowl conversation whatsoever. No. And I think that they're like the seventh or eighth favorite team to win the Super Bowl, according to futures markets. So, like, I think that the 49ers are a low end playoff team. Like, if the NFC wasn't so fucking top heavy, they would have a hard time making the playoffs. The NFC is fucking wide open on the bottom half of the playoffs, so they probably will. But the point remains the same. I I don't think they're great. I don't see them challenging the Rams to win this division whatsoever. I think they're on a pretty similar... I think them and the Cardinals are like in a dead heat, and I'm kind of low on the Cardinals. Like, I have the Cardinals at 15. Vegas has the Cardinals at 15. ESPN has them at 18, but their season win total is 11. I don't see that. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy win total for the Cardinals, just because they're in also a relatively tough division. I mean, Seattle softens it up a lot, but they have the reigning champs in the Rams, a team. And then you have Seattle and Arizona, who are kind of the same type of team of overhyped, but still decent. San Francisco and Arizona, you mean? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Seattle. Well, fuck they're, it, dude. They're, they're bad. Let's just finish off like touching on all the teams in the division. Like, yeah, the Rams are my team number two. Vegas has them at team number four. Like, I don't think there's really any value to be had in that discrepancy, uh, except for yeah, me. no, they're like, everyone knows they're elite. Yeah, they're great. Um, especially like if they don't have a Super Bowl hangover and everything. That's the only thing that could stop them from being a top five team again, a top two team again, top three, maybe. Um, and then the Seahawks, dude, it's going to be bad. <sighs> Yeah, they're going to be really bad. Like, it seems like they're doing it on purpose without doing it on purpose. You know what's sad to me is that if they would have gotten Baker Mayfield as it was rumored they could have, I would be high on them. Because, okay, like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are sick, right? Like, that's a great one-two punch. Yes. And then you've got an assortment of dudes who might be a good third option, such as Dwayne Eskridge. Uh, Hey, maybe J.J. Arcega-Whiteside figures out how to play football. I don't know what happened to him. I don't understand. Um, But so... It's a solid at worst receiving core. It's probably pretty fucking good. And then they got my tackle number one in Charles Cross. And they also got Abraham Lucas, who I think is a legit starting tackle. So they got bookend rookie tackles, who I really believe in. They have a decent interior offensive line. It's probably the best offensive line they've had in years. They've got like seven running backs who all could or should start. And then on defense, they'll be okay. You, you put Baker Mayfield in that mix and all of a sudden that's a decent like six, seven win team. But when it's yeah. Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Yeah. I mean, it's the exact same thing Panthers went through. If the Panthers didn't have Baker and were instead doing another battle between Darnold and PJ Walker. Yeah. Then they probably, we probably do agree with the ESPN Vegas stuff where they're 29, 28, just like Seattle. Yeah. I think they're probably the worst team in the league or damn near it with no Baker because it's fucking Drew Locke who is like, he's the Josh Allen prospect type that doesn't pan out. Yep. (laughs) Uh, He's got every athletic trait. He had some success in college, but you know, never really showed anything. You don't know if he's that accurate or like can read a defense well enough, but you're like, but we can treat, we can teach him. He's, 
he's an athletic marvel. He can run. He can throw the ball anywhere. And then you learn that you can't really teach that shit, and the guy just sucks. Yeah, dude is just, and he fumbles. I'll never forget. I'll never forgive when the Broncos played against the Bengals, and he fumbled at the 15-yard line by running into a defender, and then instead of trying to go down, he tried to run through him. And it was a defensive lineman. So the defensive lineman was like, oh, you know what I can do is just take the ball out of his hands. Like, while he's standing, I'll just take it. And he did. And I lost that bet by, like, a field goal. And it sucked. So fuck you, Drew Locke. And then there's also, like, the three seasons of tape that show that he's not good. Um, I think I think that the inverse version of what happened to Josh Allen's career is, like, a perfect... Drew Locke's career panned out the way a lot of people thought, I thought, Josh Allen's career would pan out, where he just, like, didn't figure it out. Um, but yeah, it, it turns out that in this league, having an average-ish backup quarterback as your starter will hurt you. It will not be good for your overall success and bettability. Kind of mind-blowing to me, honestly. I would think that that's the recipe for success. Uh, I will note that while I have Seattle at 32 And I don't feel great about that. Maybe they should be 31 or 30. Uh, ESPN has Seattle at 24 and Vegas has them at 26. I don't think that that discrepancy is large enough to really make a good coin off of, but it's worth monitoring. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I feel like the public views them as terrible, though. Yeah. Like how much people talk about them in the general narrative of they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. So although, you know, even if Vegas technically has them at 26 right now, I don't think we're actually going to find much of a market to get lines off of them when they're playing, you know anybody else okay so there are two divisions we haven't fucking touched we got the nfc north my home division and the nfc east the division in which i currently live which one should we quickly touch on first uh let's do the east real quick just because it's kind of a shit show dude yeah this is my question and like we're legitimately hashing this out like dude who's the best team in this division is it dallas i think it's probably dallas i think philly has a legitimate argument um just philly has to win in spite of their quarterback dallas is you know they're not winning because a million times Dak's gonna do enough for you to win games and you know the cowboys are not great and their roster isn't overly exciting mike mccarthy doesn't instill much confidence in me but he's solid and you like kellen more you know we both like kellen more as the offensive coordinator but they just don't blow me away in anything and they still have some serious weaknesses on that defense losing amari cooper i think will hurt them i like cd lamb a lot but now he's the dude that's going to get you know everyone's number one corner it's a big step up in responsibility for him um so i think it's going to be a little tougher for that offense i think luckily they are smart enough to use tony pollard of zeke they're going to kind of shift into that as we saw a little bit last year um but they're solid everywhere you know if now if if it's true that tyron smith tore his knee today that hurts a little bit it does hurt um again not that you should be counting on him to be you know your stalwart left tackle because he doesn't play that much anymore because of all the injuries but still that hurts um but the only other argument is philly and Philly has Jalen Hurts, man. Who is just like, like Jalen Hurts evolves into Dak Prescott. Like when when Jalen Hurts like polishes his game up and like gets to where he wants to go, he becomes Dak. Yeah, I mean that's his like ideal fucking life situation, <laughs> right? Like that's 
it's just very far off from what Dak is, in my opinion. I agree. I, I have Jalen Hurts as the second worst starting quarterback. Yeah. I mean, we have, again, we have covered this. You would have to go back quite a bit to find the episode in which we cover Jalen Hurts, though. Um, yeah. <laughs> And I think that's why Philly can't be the best in that division, even though they were really good last year or way outperformed expectations last year with Jalen Hurts. And they got better. Like, they're a better team than they were last season. A.J. Brown helps. Yeah. I mean, the defense got better. A.J. Brown obviously is a huge part. The line is still very good. You know, they, they're another year older, and you always wonder who's going to stay healthy with them. Uh, granted, Brandon Brooks just retired and kind of finally ended that question, even though he's barely played. Um, so I think there's an argument because Philly's better overall, I think, talent-wise. And I think they may have a better coach. I think they – I really like Nick Sirianni, like, a lot. But I can't back a team that is extremely weak at quarterback. And low-key, they're, they're kind of weak at cornerback. Like, I like Darius Slay. I was a huge Darius Slay fan for a long time. He's still a zone first corner and he's in his 30s like i think he's like 32 like that's not lit and then james bradbury i think is pure pedestrian i think he's a c plus corner i think he's borderline a weakness at cornerback too and if you can get after him which i think the cowboys can because of their depth of weapons on the outside like yeah they lost amari cooper and yeah they lost uh who's our boy that went to miami the slot guy we really like michael gallup still in uh cedric wilson yes Cedric Wilson's gone, but they still, as we were talking about, they still got CD. They still got Michael Gallup. They've added in the draft. Like they're going to be okay at wide receiver. I, um, I think to just head to head, the Cowboys have an advantage there. And yeah, it, it really, it comes down to Jalen Hurts. If Jalen Hurts can be the guy that Twitter likes to think he is, the Eagles can be good. But as it stands, I have him as my 22nd ranked team. And like low key, he's a, this is a little bit of a fade for us, or at least for me, I have them at 22. The algorithm has them at 14. ESPN has them at 15 and Vegas has them at 19. So I didn't want to put them as a fade because we're not that far off. Like there's not that much of a discrepancy between Vegas, ESPN, me and the algorithm. And it's kind of all over the place. But my gut is I kind of want to fade Philly because like another thing is everybody and their mother who is like kind of sharp, but like how sharp really loves Philly because they were an ATS darling last year. I think that was also because we all thought they were going to be like worst in the league level last year. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, we thought Nick Sirianni would be a bad coach and that was very stupid of us because he was great. Yeah. No, he was, he was best of the rookie head coaches. Yeah. So like taking into account the fact that they have a great head coach who's really good at calling plays and like is aggressive and innovative. They're not a bottom 10 team or a bottom five team. But like they're definitely at the back half of that second third, like they're in the high 20s or I mean the low 20s. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So they're like a they're like a kind of fade. Like I'm tapping the gas pedal. I, I'm, I'm seeing a, a green light, but I don't know how long it's been green. And I'm like, ah, maybe I'm going to just ease onto this break. I don't want to slam it. You know, I my I would agree with you. The only reason I'm not going to actively say like, yes, light fade is because I thought this last year and Again, they're kind of middle of the road this year compared to bottom of the league of last year's expectations, but they got better from last season. Like they're a more talented team than they were last season. And they still have Jalen. It's the same coaches. Like there's a lot of consistency and they went to the playoffs. Like, yes, some of that was luck and like, you know, close game stuff can flip a lot from season to season, 
but they made the playoffs as a very bad team. Yeah. And I think some of that is all right. Maybe they have figured out a way to limit the Jalen hurt side Yeah, and they can lean into their strong offensive line. their very strong defensive line and, you know, a young coach that maybe has figured some stuff out. So that's why I'm not going to fade them. I don't expect them to be like a good team. Jalen hurts still completely removes any ceiling for them, or I guess places a hard ceiling on their team, but they're better than they were last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that the, the moral of this division is that like none of these teams are real contenders. Like at least one of them's making the playoffs and, and maybe two, but they're not doing anything when they get there. Um, cause then like you look at Washington, it depends on which version of Carson Wentz they get. If they get two years ago, Wentz, like playoff team, if they get last year, Wentz, like, I don't know if they get an even worse Wentz as the trend would indicate, they could be picking top five because yeah. their, their defense has a really, they have a great defensive line and they have pieces. They have like Kendall Fuller in the secondary and maybe William Jackson, the third, maybe, but there are holes in their secondary. I love their wide receivers. They got good running backs. Their offensive line is solid enough, but I don't like their coaching. If Carson Wentz can be really good and he can, then they could be good. Like they could be a nine win team, 10 win team even maybe, but I don't want to bet into Carson Wentz. Like if, if after a couple of weeks, it looks like Carson Wentz is hashtag back. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be trying to gas them. Cause I really love what they've built on the outside there. Um, or if God forbid, if Sam Howell gets a shot at starting at some point this year, you better believe I'm going to gas him. Cause I think that not only will he be better than Carson Wentz, but I think that the market will inappropriately downgrade the reds or the commanders for it. Go commies. There's nothing more ironic than getting rid of an Indian mascot to replace it with an American military mascot. Like, is that not a slap in the face? Uh, I would venture it is. But anyhow. I would say it's kind of realistic for American history, no? It is historically accurate. That is how it happens. But I digress. Shed a tear. Uh, (laughs) And then, unless you have anything to add with, with Washington, not the Redskins, I think the Giants are in a similar boat. Like, if Daniel Jones could just be solid, they could be solid. They will go literally exactly as far as Daniel Jones will take them. And I don't think that's anywhere. And I don't think Tyrod Taylor is good either. No. Yeah. They're definitely in a uh, figure some stuff out season. Cause I think they're, they're pretty sure Daniel Jones is about to start his final season with their team. Yeah. Um, but you know, they have a lot of young guys. They're trying to get out of cap hell that Gettleman put them in. So they don't, they're not in a rush. They can figure shit out. They have some exciting young players, obviously getting Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Kadarius Tony flashed a lot last year. You loved him coming out of the draft. Boy, do I. You know, a lot of, a lot of Percy Harvin comps. Um, so they have some weapons. I mean, their offensive playmakers are pretty exciting. They just can't stay healthy ever. And Daniel Jones is the one throwing them the ball. That's the real big the, the defense has had some really good numbers the last few years. Um, you know, last year, not quite as much, but they, they in theory are good. Like they have some good pieces. I love Adoree Jackson. I like Kayvon Thibodeau. I like Leonard Williams. But they have a really bad quarterback. Yeah. It's the first year with Dable, who I like, and we both think will be a good head coach. But you never fucking know. Never fucking know. And it seems like I don't think they're very concerned about winning this year. I agree. So I just think they're going to be a bad team towards the bottom. 
they're going to have some really fun weeks where I think they're going to flash or, you know, you'll get your occasional Daniel Jones, like, oh my goodness, this is what he can be game. Yep. And Saquon and like his couple of games where he makes a big play and is healthy, like they'll have some exciting moments, but overall they're just not a good team that has too many holes. Yeah. In like, that important position. I'm really excited about the Giants next year when they get a new quarterback, yes. as long as I, you know, provided I like the quarterback, but like next year, give him a quarterback fuck give him baker mayfield and that would be that would be insane i i don't really want to think about baker with new york media yeah i mean that would be terrible and it would also be frustrating that baker comes to new york as i leave it but (laughs) you know uh that's the nfc east it's a whole every team in the nfc east is basically quarterback play away but there is not one quarterback in this division outside of sam howell who is a backup for some reason that I like legitimately want or even really appreciate. Like I'm higher on Carson Wentz than most, but like only because I don't want to get burned only because I've seen him be good. Just not recently. Yeah. I think that wraps up the NFC East uh, kind of a stinker. There will be some excitement since there are, it's a lot of parody. In we that won't division, be, we won't be talking about any of them in January though. No, except maybe some of the teams will be picking very high. Well, that will be in like February. Man, it, it's always draft season. You are a Browns fan. I, f- I forget that about you. At heart, you are still, that is your upbringing. Good save. You are a, um, yes. you are an expat. You are a, a Browns <laughs> expat. Uh, it's really, yeah, I think that's a good explanation of it. Um, but yeah, you're correct in that the, the former Browns fan in me, the child Browns fan in me, will always be looking at draft season. All right. I guess all we have to do now is touch the bases on the NFC North, which should go a lot quicker. Uh, Green Bay Packers, good. Probably a little overrated due to that Aaron Rodgers guy, but they're, they're a good team. They should win that division. Yeah, I mean, like I've got them at team five and so does Vegas and ESPN's got them at six and the algorithm has them at three. Uh, See, the thing is, like, they're they're going to be a little overrated because Aaron Rodgers, right? But I think their defense is super underrated because that's a top five unit. That's secondary. Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander, and Rasul Douglas, who came onto the scene last year, plus they've got solid safeties. Like, dude, that's going to be tough to pass on with that cloud, you know, small area zone defense they play. And then Rashawn Gary's a monster. Uh, Kenny Clark's a monster. Like, they're going to be tough. And then, you know, people are really low on the Packers because of their wide receivers. You know, they got rid of Devontae Adams and MVS. And I love MVS. And Devontae Adams is really, really good. He's great, even. But I still like what Randall Cobb and Amari Rogers can do in the slot. So that's something like it's not you don't build your offense on that, but it's something. I think Sammy Watkins is a legitimate good wide receiver, too. And Romeo Daubs, I thought was fine. Like I thought he was a starting wide receiver in a year out of Nevada. Like I thought he was a wide receiver, too. There's nothing special about him, but he's consummate. And then Christian Watson, if he learns how to catch, could, would, should be a fucking monster. And I think that's plenty to work with for a team that runs the ball first and throws simple pass patterns to get the wide receivers the ball in space like i they're gonna be fine which means that yeah. they're going to be really good and they're gonna win this because division lafleur is a very good coach as well yeah like we were talking about how uh shanahan lower or raises the floor a lot for the 49ers and that like with him they're gonna be solid like outside of some absolutely insane shit happening they're gonna be a pretty good team that is probably in the playoff hunt or like probably in the playoffs 
and at worst in the playoff hunt. I think they're um, definitely in the playoffs, possibly in the Super Bowl hunt. But I don't yeah. think that they're on the I don't think they're on the Bucks or Rams level, assuming health. But I think that they have a higher likelihood of being healthy than the Bucks and Rams, who are older. I agree. And I mean, again, it goes back to the limiting factor of Aaron Rodgers being better in the media than he is in real life. But like, dude, he's still good. Like he's he's but still he's, really good. He's just yes. elite. Yeah. And that but that's what changes them from a team that is, you know, a favorite to go to the Super Bowl to a team that's like, yeah, I mean, they they have a shot. Yeah. Um and that, that touches the bases on Green Bay. Shocker, still really good. Um after that, the drop off is noticeable. It is I would severe. Say, I would say the Vikings are the second best team in this division, but like A, saying very little. And B, I want to be higher on them than I actually am capable of being. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Well, because I know you love the new coach. Well, I want to, but I have no idea what I'm getting. He like he's right. Like, yeah. First time play caller. That is a, a nice thing that we've we've grown from our early days where we know maybe these coaches are fucking idiots. They have all of the background that would make them a good coach, but we don't know. So in theory, you like him, but you got to see. I mean, I've, he's never called a play, you know, he could. Yeah, but he's he, from the right. He's from the right system. Yeah. And he says the right things. Yeah. Um, And he's but, Irish. He's like all the best coaches right now are Irish, it, which is weird. Shanahan, McVay, Reed. Yeah, granted. Isn't, Mc- isn't Andy Reed uh, technically a Mormon now? He is a Mormon, but that does you don't have to be Catholic to be Irish. It just helps. You should. I don't, I don't, I don't know if the Irish will let you be be part of their people still if you go to the Mormons. You're part of the delegation. You are the one who gets to rule on that. You know, I missed my yearly newsletter this year. So uh, you didn't re-register. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I thought they just knew where all of us were in Chicago, but <laughs> casual anti-white racisms aside, uh, yeah, the Vikings are like, they got a super, they have the average quarterback and they have a coach. We don't really know. They have an offensive line. That's not great. It's, it's it'll be adequate if things go right. Uh, they got great wide receivers and a great running back who can never stay healthy and a defense that kind of needs to be completely rebuilt from the bottom up, but it's not hard to be better than the bears and lions. Like I, th- I think Minnesota is lucky if they make the playoffs. I don't think they will. They might. I agree. I think they're going to be a team that always gets shown in the graphic of in the hunt towards the end of the year. They will certainly be in the but hunt. But they're never going to seriously be there because they, they just don't have it. I mean, with Kirk, you know that you're limited offensively. And the defense, well, I actually think they've done a pretty good job of getting some pieces and retooling the last couple of years. I mean, Lewisine is great. Love him. Um Who's playing uh, corner? What's his name? The defensive, the edge that has barely played the last couple of years. Daniel Hunter? Daniel Hunter, yeah. He, uh, I mean, when he plays, he's been really good. Yeah, he's fine. He's um, good. He's good. But the, he does the, not I make mean, that defensive line good. The safeties are good. Between Lewisine and Harrison Smith, you're in a good spot. Linebacker, they're in a really good spot. I love Eric, Eric Kendrick's Kendrick. leading the room. Love him. Uh, they, they've amassed like a million defensive tackles. It feels like in the last couple of years and cornerbacks, none of which can play. Right. Which is an issue, but I feel like eventually someone will hit <laughs> just a numbers game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they're just, they're just not there. They have, they have too many holes. If they can get a corner 
real defensive linemen that would help but they're getting there the o-line is much better than it was in previous years like you said the playmakers are pretty incredible yeah and they might even use a third wide receiver this year which would be a novel concept for them yeah be pretty wild might might give them some extra options but i feel like that's kind of all that we need to say about minnesota and then we get into the two teams that are going to be kind of duking it out for the bottom of the division and potentially the bottom of the league uh bears and lions i don't even feel like we need to really split them up Actually, uh, I think it's a little insulting to the Lions to have them so close to the Bears. I really do. And that's weird. Yeah, I mean, their issues, like, I think the Lions have done an incredible job getting guys recently. I mean, the the people they got in this year's draft was awesome. I mean, getting Aiden Hutchinson and Jameson Williams are like... Couldn't do better. Yeah, they're the two top guys at their position in a draft class that had really good players at both of those positions. Yep. Um, And they've done a decent job. You know, they have they've pulled a lot of those depth players in where we're talking about some of the teams like Atlanta, where they have a couple good players, but zero depth. Yeah. The Lions are the opposite, where it feels like they have a ton of depth, just no stars, even though now they might have some stars. They're just rounding it. I mean, Sewell is there. Sewell's, I, um, I think, dude, Taylor Decker is low-key a star. I would say Taylor Decker, I mean, he's the reason Sewell's playing. Is he on the right side still? Because Taylor yeah. Decker's playing left? Yeah, so they got they got bookend, like, borderline elite tackles. Like, those are two really good tackles. And got Frank Ragnow, who is an awesome center. And their guard play is fine. Let me check real quick who they have. I remember giving them, like, B-minus grades. But, yeah, you've got... Halapulavati Vitae, Big V. Oh, yeah, the old the old Eagles guy. Exactly. Who is a serviceable guard. He was a... Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he was a C-plus tackle. He's like a B, B-minus guard. He'll exist. And then they got Jonah Jackson, who is fine. S- same deal. Like, C-plus, B-minus guy. It's not going to sink you. Um, yeah, and like, they're they're super deep at running back randomly. Like, I don't know if that's the smartest allocation of resources, but boy, do they got them. And then at tight end, they got TJ Hawkinson and Devin Funches. So like, I'm excited about that. Those are both solid players. I think Devin Funches always should have been a tight end and would have had a good career if he had done so. Uh, Alon Ross St. Brown, consummate slot receiver. DJ Chark, I've always been high on him. If he could ever just stay healthy as like a DK Metcalf type where like, can he catch that well? No. Can he run routes? Definitely not. But he's tall and fast and jumps good. So there is a role for him. Really, this offense is is a decent quarterback away from being like really good. Like the line's great. The, re- the receiving weapons, especially when they get JMO back, are going to be good. The backs are really good. They just yeah. need a quarterback that's not Jared Goff. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's an elusive position. Another team that like it was right there. You could have just gotten Baker Mayfield and been good, but you decided not yeah. to. There are there are a lot of teams that might be very heavy on the Baker Mayfield stakes next year. Yeah. I, I also I fear for Lions fans that their roster will just be so good that it will be difficult for them to get their hands on a top pick to get a top quarterback. That said, I also have no idea if any of the quarterbacks in this upcoming draft are good because I won't watch them until February. Yeah. Um, And then on defense. Yeah. Like you said, like they don't really have any dudes. Um, Like I like Amani Oruwarie. 
I think he's a cornerback one, but not a great one. Like he could be your first corner, but you shouldn't be thrilled about it. Like he's he's good at that role. He's not great at it. Yep. And then they just got lots of dudes who are like solid. Like I really like Kirby Joseph as their third safety. Deshaun Elliott out of Baltimore, like has proven he can be a starter in this league. Tracy Walker has proven he can be a good starter in this league. Uh, Alex Anzalone is one of those dudes who will just always have a job as a linebacker because he's smart and he doesn't get that lost in coverage. Like Michael Brockers, I'm pretty sure he will be playing defensive tackle when my children are born. Uh, I like Levi Anwuzarike out of Washington. Like, I really think he can make a big jump in his second year. Aiden Hutchinson is the dude. I think he's the best version of the Bosa brothers. And yes, they are all brothers because they're white and we're number 97. They're the same family. Um, like, yeah, they got lots of dudes who I'm kind of excited about. Both of the Okwara brothers on the defensive line. Like, but nobody that I think is a bona fide game wrecker. They're a little bit not deep in the secondary because Jeff Okuda is who I said Jeff Okuda would be. Props to me. The dude sucks dicks for money. He is a prostitute. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the fucking rub. And if you don't have studs on defense and you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to be a top 15 team. And frankly, I don't think they will be a top 25 team. Granted, I think the bears are probably the worst team in the NFL. Yeah. The bears are incredibly bad because they have, they just have absolutely no hope. There's no angle that you can take on the bears that is optimistic. It's all bad. Yeah. Because I mean, like they don't have much talent on the team. Nope. And the talent they do have wants to leave or get paid a ton of money in Roquan Smith. I'm not even sure Roquan Smith is that great. Like, right. Which is their conundrum because now they either have to pay a guy that's not that great, or they have to go through the process of a guy that everyone thinks is their star player on defense is now unhappy and doesn't want to play there and thinks they're shitty or, and they have to go trade him or deal with it one way. Can I get into the weeds a little bit on my Roquan Smith theory? Like, can I, can I get X's and O's on you? So the problem that I have with Roquan Smith is that he's very athletic and he's, he's not a good tackler necessarily. He doesn't have a high successful tackle rate. He actually misses a lot of tackles, but he gets in position to make hits a lot. Like he makes a lot of hits. They don't necessarily take down the ball carrier, but any hit is a good hit. Just getting to the dude and making contact at least slows people down and helps the rest of the defense. Right. But he gets lost in space, despite the fact he's such a good athlete. And I think that a lot, a large reason that he saw success uh, in the last couple of years with the bears, as opposed to his first year when he was terrible um, is because they switched to a three, four defense. And what that did was they brought him into the, so in a three, four defense, he's an inside linebacker and there are four linebackers, even if two of them are really just defensive ends uh, in Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn means that he has to play in a smaller gap. His slot is narrower. He doesn't have as much space to account for, and they can kind of keep him going backwards and forwards, which he's very good at it because he's very fast. When you get him moving side to side and you make him track in space is when he gets lost. It's when he suffers dramatically in coverage. And now that they're in a 4-3, he's going to be back as an outside linebacker, which means he's going to have to cover half the field. And in nickel, he's going to have to cover at least half the field. So I think that switching schemes actually is going to hurt him, despite the fact that this defense that Eberflus runs is extremely vanilla. It's basically just like cover two man and cover two zone out of a base four, three defense every snap, which I think is really fucking stupid. Uh, but it's what he did in Indianapolis. And it's his philosophy is literally just, I'm going to keep the defense simple. So my dudes can hustle harder because their jobs are not easier, 
necessarily, but easier to comprehend. So like they're not wasting time thinking, they're just running and they could try harder. And my guys are going to work harder and therefore be better. Uh, I think that is gym teacher caliber strategy. Uh, and I think that the Bears head coach is fucking terrible, but I think that this is going to necessarily hurt Roquan Smith's performance, turning the one real strength of their defense into a weakness. Is that fair? It makes sense. I think that makes sense. It follows logically. Because I mean, like we think of the Bears as having this stacked defensive roster, but everybody's gone. Their defensive say, I don't know if anyone thinks that of them anymore. Like their defensive line is going to be Trevis Gibson, who I will admit like has flashed in reserve roles and such. Like Bears fans are kind of excited about him. But if he pans out in their wildest dreams, I think he can be a, a number two edge. You've got a 33-year-old Robert Quinn playing for nothing on a team that sucks. You've got terrible defensive tackles in Angelo Blackson and Justin Jones. Like neither of those dudes should really be starting, in, at least in a 4-3. Justin Jones could be useful in a 3-4. Uh <clears throat> And then in the secondary, Jalen Johnson's really good, but constantly hurt. Kyler Gordon is a high pick, but I don't think that he'll be a very good corner. I think that in a couple of years, he could be solid. Jaquan Brisker is a strong safety and he's a good prospect. He's a B player, but it's a strong safety. How much does it help? And then Eddie Jackson just fell off a cliff. He was like the best free safety in the NFL for a year. And then just, I don't know what happened to his ball skills. They disappeared. And we're not, I'm not talking like interceptions. I'm talking like he just gets lost. So the defense is grasping at average with a bad coordinator. And then the offense, where do I begin? Um, how about we save Justin Fields for last? Yeah. Okay. Get it out of the way early. Darnell Mooney's really good. He's like an elite wide receiver too, but he's just simply doesn't, he's not big enough. He doesn't have the type of skill set to be a wide receiver one, right? Like he's not Tyreek Hill levels of explosive and he's not imposing. So you have to keep him as your Y wide receiver. You have to keep him off the line. Equinemius St. Brown should be a great X wide receiver. And I think he's going to be their wide receiver one, maybe not in target share, but like in he'll be their X. He should be great, but he always should have been great. And it's never happened. So like, what the fuck's going on? But he's big, he's fast. He's got good hands. He's a diligent worker. I've got inside intel. He's a really good dude. He's just weird. And maybe that's what's been holding him back. Uh, Byron Pringle, sure. He's a useful slot, whatever. None of this inspires confidence. I think that the Bears wide receiver room is a little bit, uh, they, they get a little too much shit. They don't deserve all the shit they get, but they're also not a top 25 group. Maybe not a top 20 group. They could be like 23, I won't argue. And then on the offensive line, like, Okay, you're going to start Riley Reef at right tackle and Cody Whitehair at left guard. And those are like solid, legitimate players who should be playing on offensive lines. Michael Schofield at right guard. Eh. Patrick Lucas at center. That's bad. Braxton Jones at left tackle could be great. He was amazing in division two competition. And I don't mean division one double A like Trey Lance. I mean, division two. I think he's at like South Utah. Yeah, South Utah. And he's a 23-year-old rookie, but he's never played bad football. He's exclusively played elite football just against bad players. And like he's looked awesome in the preseason, but it's the preseason. So who knows what's going to go on with him? None of that is inspiring. It's definitely not going to be a great offensive line. And then the elephant in the room is Justin Fields. Is that fair to say? Sure. I mean, I'm going to leave it. Like, I'm just going to make it super simple because I've evaluated Justin Fields a ton of times and it's, it's, it's readily available, but he's got all the physical tools in the world. He's got a very strong arm and he's got really good legs and he's even pretty accurate with the ball. He's just the single worst mental 
like the mental aspects of his game are the worst I've ever seen in a quarterback, at least in a starter. He's a, a full second late on every decision. He panics. He can't handle pressure. He fumbles because he tries to do too much or because he just gets freaked out. Uh, he puts the ball in harm's way because he either has too much confidence or is too late in making a read to realize he's in danger. He's accurate, but he ain't that accurate. His release is extremely long, opening himself up to negative sacks and just boneheaded plays because he's not getting the ball out quick enough. He's always going to show glimpses of like really cool shit, really great highlights, but he's never going to do anything on a consistent basis. And you tell me I've got a bad head coach with a first time play caller in the OC and an offensive line that is shaky at best, a wide receiving group that is hopeful at best and a defense that is not good. I, I, the Bears will win a game next year. They will not go 0-17, but I don't know who the fuck they beat. They're going to be very bad. I, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to go winless just because I think it's very hard to go winless, um, but I couldn't pick a game that I would favor them in. Yeah, they'll luck into one or even a few, but like it's going to be, you're not going to see it coming. Maybe they get a COVID game. Maybe COVID makes its triumphant return and takes away an entire quarterback room for one team one time. But yeah, I mean, like something will happen. They'll win a couple games. But I think that this time next year, we'll be talking about their new rookie quarterback. Justin Fields will be elsewhere or banished and they'll be starting over again as is tradition. It's incredible that they 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 started over from the mistake quarterback to another mistake quarterback. And we'll probably do it a fuck verbal meme. It's that that crudely drawn goofy. And he says, I'll fucking do it again, too. But yeah, I think that I mean, I would love to fade the Bears. I just I think that the rest of the world knows they suck, too. That's kind of the problem. Yeah, I agree. I believe that is that is the major, major problem here is that everyone knows they suck. They, I mean, it's probably for the wrong reasons. It typically is. is. Is the only reason to have any excitement about them. But really, he's just another reason why they're going to be bad. So in conclusion, on the NFC side, we are actively looking for reasons to bet on uh, every team in the NFC South. <laughs> we are looking for games where they are favored by less than three uh, in, in terms of New Orleans and Tampa. And then in Carolina and Atlanta, they're just live dogs all the time. Um, and we are actively looking to bet against San Francisco. This doesn't mean we do it blindly in any case, except Tampa Bay. You could pretty much bet on them every week, but it does mean that we are, we are trying to find games in which we can bet against San Francisco in which we can bet on Carolina, New Orleans, or Atlanta to very, you know, with varying degrees of certainty. But with that, I think we've covered the entire NFC. I think we touched every base. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good breakdown. Obviously, there's more to talk about with every team. We're going to get into it as the season comes down. We actually have game matchups to talk about. Yep, because it's a matchup game. Yeah, you know, we can we can do all this gassing and fading, but realistically, there could be a week where the team that we have ranked at 13 is set to lose to a team that we have ranked at 24 because they match up well and injuries have come in and whatnot. So it is for any of this. But I think it's some good teams that we've noticed some uh, inefficiencies in the market and will give us a good start to the season. Yeah, we're just getting back in the swing of things, trying to get ready for week one in a couple weeks and make some fucking money again. But uh, with that, I think it's time to sign off. Uh, I'm Joe. That was Alex. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, in return, we ask one thing. Please bet on football games. Asta. Asta.